I get the uh, honor uh, and the privilege to uh, just continue our series on life's biggest questions. And so we started this on Easter, and so we're going to continue uh, with this. And I have to admit, i got to give you a warning, um, we're, we had this nice, fun, uh, just worshipful moment of baptism, and then I'm going to take us to a valley, okay? So, um, but it's your fault because you asked the question. So, um, I'm just doing my job. So, anyway, um, but the reality is uh, we're going to continue with just uh, a question that has been asked for thousands of years. And so, we're going to go deep, right? Because deep questions uh, require us to go to deep answers. And so, if I, uh, we're going to go deep a little bit, all right? So, I'm going to pray because I'm going to need it, and uh, we'll go from there. So, Jesus, we just invite you uh, to come, and we ask your presence that you would uh, just speak to us. Um, Just take a moment here, just just sense like, uh, my true heart prayer is that I would do do this with you, Jesus. Like, that this wouldn't be just my words or just, uh, just repeating some things that I've digested, but Jesus, this would be you. And uh, my hope is that as we dive into this deep question, that I, I, my goal is not to give an answer that we walk away with that's real easy and simple, but my, my prayer is that we walk away with hope. Um, just hope, because that's, that's all we need. Uh, and I pray, uh, Jesus, you would give us that hope because you are the answer. Um, and so, so I just pray, uh, your presence, Holy Spirit, would you come? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's start off with a story. Uh, it was... Uh, Almost 11, exactly 11 years ago, um, it was the end of April, beginning of May, uh, where I got to go to Haiti um, shortly after the earthquake there that happened in January of 2010. And so I was a part of a, a discipleship training program, and uh, so our outreach was to spend a month there in Haiti. And so if you're, just to, uh, just to remind you what happened, uh, there was an earthquake that happened in Port-au-Prince, and uh, they estimate about 250,000 people died uh, during that earthquake. Another 300,000 people were injured. And um, so part of our, we went there, and, and uh, it was part of the, the organization Youth with a Mission. And so um, I just remember, like, we're in the plane, and I can visibly see the devastation from, like, as we were landing. And, uh, and, um, and then we landed, and then uh, just like most, you know, third world countries, you, you get to ride on the back of a pickup truck, right? And, and so we are riding through the, the town and, and driving about an hour and a half from Port-au-Prince to St. Mark at the time. And uh, it's just one of those moments, I don't know if you've had this experience, where you're like, your brain is having a hard time processing, like, everything you're seeing. And, and so, like, just the amount of destruction and the buildings collapse to the, the piles of kind of trash to just even the smell um, and then just seeing, like, the tent cities of, like, everywhere. Just, like, these makeshift shelters of tarps and, and that sort of thing. And so as an early 20-something... I'm just like, man, like, it's a lot to take in. Like, being, growing up in America, and, and this, this whole idea is just like, I, I didn't have a, a way to process, like, what I was experiencing. And, and then we went to this rural village and outside of St. Mark, and so we're, like, because there was already some ministry happening there, so we're, you know, trying to keep that ministry going, but also there was a tent city out there. They're trying to relocate people, and so we spent some time there. And uh, we went to this rural village. I'll never forget, as we were there doing some things, um, we found this girl who was, um, she, you could tell she had some sort of 
uh, mental handicapped of some sort, but their best solution of way to handle her was to tie her to a tree. And so here's this dirt, like almost like you would think, uh, like being a dog tied to a tree, was this little girl who was probably six, seven, or eight years old, um, tied to a tree. And uh, even just, it just comes back to mind. It's like, how do you, how do you process something like that? Of, of how can that be the case? And, and so you probably understand where I'm going with this. this these, we've had these moments where you, you, you look at the suffering and you look at the pain in the world and go, like, where, where are you at in this, God? Like, where are you at in, in all this suffering? If you're a good God, why does this happen? Uh, on a more personal note, you know, for, for my family, specifically for my wife, over the summer we had a family tragedy, and, and it was an unexpected thing, an unexpected loss, and again, it was in that moment, it's, it's like a punch to the gut where you're just like, oh man, this is hard to process. This is hard to, to figure out how, how does this kind of thing, like, how do these kind of things happen? Like, um, and so inevitably, you ask these kinds of questions of like, okay, God, where are you at in all of this? You know, where, where are you at in this? Why? I mean, we prayed, we prayed. Like, why didn't you show up? Like, where were you? And so I'm guessing all of us uh, have probably either had that question of some sort um, or maybe in the process of asking that question or going through some things. And so uh, here we are. We're down in the valley, right? And so uh, this idea of problem with pain. And here's the, the, just even the summation of those questions. If you go to the next slide, is just, if there is a good God, why does he allow pain and suffering? And why do bad things happen to good people? And so from the start, right, I'm not, I'm about 30 minutes, I'm not going to be able to, like, totally solve this question, right? I mean, uh, there and uh, books and seminary courses, there's been uh, podcasts, there is plenty of information, plenty of different ways of looking at this question. It even has its um, own word of theodicy, is this, this study of this, of this idea of, of a good God and suffering and evil in this world. And so from the start, uh, I'm just going to kind of summate it like this. Uh, this problem of pain cannot be answered, all right? Not in a cheap, easy way, but it's, it's not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be endured. And so part of this idea, there's a mystery to it. And there is, and because here's the reality, all of us uh, have, have maybe had experiences or see things in this world, and, and to try to come up with one answer that fits all of them is going to be pretty hard, right? And so there's just this reality, there's, it's going to be a mystery to be endured. And so um, I'm going to kind of break it down again. This is our problem of pain. There's something wrong with the world, right? It is not as it should be. Pain is everywhere. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you go to the news stations, and you know, even if you go to like 10 TV or even a, a local news station, I mean, there is usually at least one story of some sh- sort of shooting going on, right? Or um, even in the, just recently, a day or so ago, you know, eight being killed in Indianapolis, there's this ongoing issue in our world that we know something's not right. And it's not just something that's external, but it's something we face for us personally, right? We face some of these things that tell us that something's not right with this world. And on the other hand, if there is a good God, he doesn't stop all bad things from happening, right? He doesn't stop all bad things from happening and even, even pain from, from the world and even into our lives. And so how do we navigate this as followers of Jesus? How do we process this question? So just for um, clarity's sake, I'm going to 
go through some definitions and, and explain some things because I think it might be helpful as we go through this. And even psychology wants us to differentiate between pain and suffering. Those two are not the same thing. And so I'm gonna break those down a little bit. So let's start with pain. Pain is, it is what it is. It, it's, it's, it's the pain, the, what we experience when something um, that is not right happens. It's, it's a pandemic, it's, it's getting sick, it's getting hurt, it's a divorce, it's all these things that cause pain in our life. And, and pain is one of those things that alerts us that something is not right, right? It, it's, and, and in some senses, pain can be a benefit. Um, so if you, if you look at like lepers, they were doing this like, uh, this guy was doing a study where he's talking with lepers. And the problem with lepers is as the, the flesh begins to die uh, off their skin, they lose the, uh, you know, the sensory things in their hands, and so they can't tell when they are experiencing pain. So for us, we, if we touch a hot burner, boom, it alerts us, we can move. But for a leper, they don't have pain, then it ends up they getting cuts, it gets infected, and that's what ends up causing this losing pain. So pain in itself is not a bad thing. It, it's just, it is what it is. It alerts us that something is wrong. On the other hand, suffering is our response. Suffering is the response or the meaning we make based off the pain. So again, in simple forms, when you know, a young kid touches a burner or does something wrong, um, the suffering part is, is they get hurt and then the meaning is to make is, okay, I shouldn't touch a hot burner, right? It's a story, they tell themselves of that. And the reality is, suffering is that. It's a, it's a choice, it's a meaning we make or we, we, we can choose not to make, um, but it's our body's way of kind of holding on the pain and then we release it into a story. And so this is super important as we think through pain and suffering. We discharge that pain into a story. When we experience pain or see pain in the world, the problem is we have a hard time discharging that pain into a story that makes sense for us. If, if just have seen the thing, it's, 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 we need to discharge it into a story. And so for young people, specifically millennials and Gen Zers, as they are encountering th these things, uh, specifically even for this age group, they are having a hard time with this story. And so statistics and surveys have shown that this is probably, this is the number one reason why there's just even uh, unbelief among young people is they don't have the story to go to as far as why is there pain and suffering and how can there be a good God despite all this pain and suffering. And so it's kind of crucial, especially for our young people, and I'm sure you don't have to, it's not just for young people, it's, it's for all of us, is uh, what story we're going to take our suffering to. All right, I'm gonna go look at two really quickly, two stories that we often go to that I think are not super helpful. All right, the first one is we just say there's no God, right? Because if you, if you take God out of the equation, you don't have a problem with pain, right? You just have, a, you just have pain. And, and then you see that if you take God out of it, um, you, you just see that uh, you know, the point of life, I guess, is, is just to survive and, and to make happiness or um, to live your best life. And pain is just an obstacle to that endeavor. You follow me? And so it's hard, if you have that worldview, um, you know, you can't have any kind of meaning to suffering. Uh, because, you know, that's just, we are just the result of, of a byproduct of the Big Bang and uh, of chaos and now, and randomness, and now we have this. And so pain is just, it is what it is. It's the survival of the fittest, right? So if you, if you remove God from the equation, you're able to solve this, you're able to solve this problem. And so that's what, what most young people are doing, is if you remove God, you've solved your problem. But with that, I would argue, now you have the problem with goodness, don't you? So now you got to stand at, at the edge of the Grand Canyon, right? 
And it's one of those two, when I had that moment, it's a hard for your brain to process that as well if you've ever had that experience. And you go, well, this is just an accident, right? You have, now have the problem with beauty and how somehow we can put together all these strings and at different tightness we can create this beautiful symphony and yet that's just random. And, or looking at a newborn baby and just go, yep, that's, that's by accident, right? You, you have this issue with goodness that I don't think necessarily solves. On the other hand, really quickly, uh, and it, this is where we kind of the story we can go to on the religious side that I think is actually could be more harmful than good is to see that God is just behind it all, right? Is just to blame God, that he is the one who orchestrates or ordains or is behind um, um, all the bad things that are happening. Some uh, Gregory Boyd in the book uh, is God to Blame, um, which is a great book if you want to go into this a little bit deeper, um, but he calls it the blueprint worldview, that God is mysteriously behind all the suffering and evil in the world. It asserts that directly or indirectly, everything in world history follows a meticulous divine blueprint. And so, again, I'm not going to have to go a time to really... to to debunk some of this, but right, the, the, the issue I have with this is the ramifications of the consequences of this worldview. Because we tend to then just give a cheap answer right when we see people in pain and suffering. Um, well, if it was God's will, uh, that's what it was. Uh, or there's a reason for everything. Or my personal least favorite is, you know, God just needed another angel, right? Um, somehow, God was behind all of this, and this was his plan, whether it's, uh, you know, a drunk driver, kill, you know, uh, crashing in and explaining that to a mother who lost her daughter, that somehow God needed her more than she did, you know? And so some of that just becomes a cheap story to go to, and the reality is some of the ramifications is if we tend to do that, then we, we tend to put suffering and just we spend our time justifying suffering, not trying to alleviate it. Right? And it also just paints a different picture of Jesus, because when you look at the life of Jesus, and I'm going to go into this more, it seems like Jesus is more concerned with alleviating pain and suffering instead of explaining it, right? Or justifying it. And so uh, I'm not going to go into these, but I, I, I think there's a different story we can go to. And uh, it's going to be a lot, I'm going to warn you. Um, but well, let's look at what this story is. And, and I have a quote that kind of helps explain this. This is, this is from a book called Prayer in the Night. It's a uh, by an Anglican priest, her name is um, Tish, War Tish Harrison Warren. But in her book, uh, Prayer in the Night, she says this, Christianity does not give us a concise explanation for vulnerability, loss, or pain, but it gives us a real story, a real story in history. It takes the whole story of redemptive history to shape our questions about God's presence in the darkness. There, be, there may be no tidy solution to the problem of pain, but this is not because these questions are unimportant or in a final sense unanswerable. Uh, if there's anything remotely approaching a Christian answer to our questions about theodicy, again, which is the problem of pain and suffering, the story is the answer. And so, how can we have a story, how can we discharge the pain we are experiencing into a, a story that's biblical, that makes sense, that gives us hope, right? And so we're going to start from the beginning, and um, so we're going to look at the beginning of Genesis, all right? This is the, the beginning of this story that we're going to go to, and if you look at the end of Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth, he creates everything, and at the end of Genesis 1, right, he, stand back, he stands back and he looks at everything, and he goes, wow, you know? Uh, he looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good, 
And the evening passed and the morning came and marking the sixth day. But then in verse 15 of chapter two, it says this, that the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Uh, he, again, I'm just gonna kind of explain, stop here for a second, but he's given Adam and Eve, he's given them everything they need to flourish in this garden. And there is no hindrances to, for them to flourish in this place, yet he gives them a choice. He says in verse 16, but the Lord warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So God gives Adam a warning. He gives him, more specifically, he gives them a choice, right? He gives them the freedom. He's saying, all this that you have, as you're doing that, you're obeying me. If you're eating all these from all these other trees, you're living life, you are obeying me. But if you eat from this tree, you, give, you have this one choice, um, then he, like death is going to happen. And so we're going to talk through just this idea of choice and freedom because this is going to help explain why there's even pain and suffering in the first place. Because that's the first thing is why did even God allow pain and suffering to exist? Like why didn't he make it where this tree wasn't even in there? Like if God takes out this tree, right, then we're not, we, we just have, we have no potential for pain and suffering. But there's a key point that we will lose if, we, if he does this. Because here's this idea, choice and freedom provide, right, opportunity for love but it also has the risk of pain and suffering, doesn't it? So real quick, if you think about love and you think of purpose of why even God created us and created this world is because God is love and he exists in this perfect community and it said, let, let us make man in our image. Let's share in this love and so let's have two mutual people deciding to choose each other over and over again. That's what love is, right? If you limit someone's control, right, is their love. So if I uh, trap my wife in a cage and make her love me, right, would you go, that's love? No, that's abuse, right? And that's essentially what abuse tries to do, right, is to limit control, limit freedom. And this is this idea of love. Uh, The opposite side of that is with that freedom comes risk of rejection, comes risk of pain and suffering. And so um, even before my wife and I got married, this was almost 10 years ago, my wife uh, just had a few people in her life, people she was close to, who were going through a divorce. And I get it, this is not a condemnation thing. If, if you've gone through a divorce, you know how painful that experience is. And I'm just gonna acknowledge that. But she, so she's seen people go through that idea of, of divorce. And, and, and so in her mind, she, she got scared. Like a few months before she got married, she, she, she was fearful because she recognized that this marriage could be a source of life and, and, and love and it'd be a life-giving thing for her. Uh, and I, yet at the same time, there's a risk that this could be very uh, a, a wound for her, right? A, it could be a hurtful experience. And the reality is, is like, not to joke about it, like I have plenty of ex- reasons why that could be the case, right? Uh, but this is this reality is she saw the firsthand just the, the, the risk that it is when two people say, you know what, uh, um, I'm gonna, we're gonna go into marriage to each, with each other. There is a, there's the potential for a love, right? But there is the risk for pain and suffering. And so in order for us to experience and, and enter into God's love, it's, it's gotta be a choice. And so you see, even this out of Old Testament, uh, God beckoning his creation and his people to choose him, to choose to do life with him, to enter into his love, yet over and over again in the Old Testament and things, and even for us today, they they continue to choose uh, to go a different path, right? To not enter into that 
love. And, and that, that, the compounding of rejection over and over again compounded into some of the suffering and pain um, that they saw. Which goes into the next problem, or the next part of our story, not the problem. Is, so what did God do in order to do that? When this, this next part of, of seeing this repetitive cycle of pain and suffering, choosing and rejection just from God, like uh, the people of Israel rejecting him over and over and over again. Uh, you know, you think God could just be like, all right, it's time to start over again. Um, and even scripture says he, he thought about that. Um, but he, uh, like, why not just punish him and start over? But in this next part of the story, we see that God himself makes a choice. That God chooses not to just leave or eliminate or to, to even eliminate the vulnerability of humans, but he chooses and makes a choice to enter into it, right? He sees uh, the earth and the conditions that we're in, and, and from heaven, he makes a choice to, to put on this human straitjacket, right, and enter into our world of pain and suffering. And so John chapter 1 if you're following with me, it's another, you can see that it has some of the same uh, uh, resemblance of Genesis 1. Uh, and this is talking about Jesus, though. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. If you go to the next slide, we have just two more verses from John chapter 1. I think I just want to highlight here. It says, The Word became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And then verse 18, No one has seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. And so the story we tell ourselves and the story we need to discharge to and the thing we need to think about, when we think of God, we need to think of Jesus. We need to think of his life. We need to think of the cross and ultimately uh, what his life resembled and revealed about who God really is. And so when I look at this, and I look at the life of Jesus, I don't see uh, Jesus going around and justifying or even providing judgment, right, or consequences uh, to people's sin, yet he's just showing mercy, right? That people probably who deserve uh, judgment, Jesus gives them grace and mercy. And even if you see Jesus' mission statement from Luke 4, this is Jesus when he starts his ministry. This is like him set, setting out, this is what I'm gonna do. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So you see that Jesus, the whole point of this is, is in the midst of pain and suffering, the God we serve enters into that world with us. Right? He enters into that pain and suffering uh, with us. I'm reminded of the story of John 11, right? And, and this has just happened. Uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus just dies. And Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And, and so Jesus, they've put Lazarus in the tomb. He's, he's been in the tomb for four days. Jesus shows up on the scene, and, and Martha comes out to Jesus and asks the question, right? Even some of the same similar question of like, Jesus, why aren't, weren't you here? Like, if you were here, you could have healed him. Like, why weren't you here? And then again, uh, Jesus goes to Mary, and Mary is the same thing. It's like, Jesus, like, where were you? Like, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. This pain and suffering experience, if you would have just been here. 
Again, um, I think it's helpful in these, in these situations, we see Mary and Martha taking their question to Jesus, not using it to like push Jesus away. All right, I think that's a helpful thing to remember as, as when we experience these, these questions, to take them to Jesus. And here's Jesus, he knows what's gonna happen. He, he even told his disciples before he arrived, he's like, he's gonna tell them, like, Lazarus is asleep, I'm gonna go wake him up. And so Jesus, he even knows what's gonna happen. He knows that he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet, he, he comes and, and he says, he, he, uh, after he talks to Mary and Martha, uh, he has this emotional experience as he's entered into the pain of Mary and Martha, it says that Jesus just wept. Like, Jesus just wept with Mary and Martha. He entered into their pain and suffering. And, and, um, and even it says, as he approached the tomb, he, his, he just had this deeply disturbed. And so it's almost like a punch to the gut, like the same feelings that when we experience, when we see pain and suffering in the world, uh, we can know that Jesus entered into that himself as well and allowed him to experience those same kind of things, that Jesus enters into our pain and suffering. And ultimately, like uh, Isaiah 53 says, that um, eventually that leads to the cross where he was pierced for our rebellion, he was crushed for our sins, he was beaten so we could be whole, he was whipped so we could be healed. So even in this idea of, of, of entering into our suffering, um, there's this hopeful, redemptive story by him going to the cross, right, to bring healing and wholeness to our life. And ultimately, part of the story that helps us kind of answer the problem of pain is this reality. We see a God who did not keep bad things uh, happening to God himself, right? So this idea if you, um, that, that God did not prevent pain and suffering to God himself. Uh, and so I just, I'm, I'm, I find that hopeful that I'm, when I experience pain and suffering, the reality is Jesus is was allowed to experience the same similar pain and suffering as, as maybe some of the things that I uh, am going through. And that brings me hope. Uh, Tish uh, Harrison Warren said this too, to look uh, to Jesus is to know that our creator has felt pain, has known trouble, and is well acquainted with sorrow. But our hope in suffering is not merely to gaze on the bi biography of an ancient man frozen in the pages of the Bible. The story of the gospel is not a mere mantra or relic of a history. It is alive and ongoing. The work of Jesus continues even now in our everyday lives. Right? This gives us hope. And I'm going to talk about redemptive hope, this idea that, that the pain and suffering can have a redemptive purpose, a redemptive meaning. In Hebrews 12, it talks about that even, the, it, says, it says the joy that was set before him, Jesus uh, died on the cross. That, that we were his joy that he went to the cross for us. That despite all this, he had, he had the pain and agony of, of, of just crying out to God, like, God, if you could take this cup from me, take it from me, yet on the same hand, he had the joy that set before him because he knew what was on the other side. And it's kind of this both end of entering into that suffering for the redemptive purposes and the redemptive hope. And the reality is for followers of Jesus, those who choose to follow Jesus, this good news of redemptive hope is the same for us. That we can have a redemptive hope to the pain and suffering we're experiencing um, in our lives. Uh, Tim Keller says this in Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He says, so suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It is not only the way Christ became like and redeemed us, but is one of the main ways we become like him 
and ex- experience his redemption. And that means that our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. So uh, just real quick, just as we go through this, just for time's sake, the, the redemptive hope we have uh, in the here and now is this idea of, of it transforms us. Right? That by going through pain and suffering, it has the ability to transform us more into the image of Jesus, like into our very character, into the very nature of who we are. Through, as we walk through pain and suffering with Jesus, it actually transforms us into the very nature of Jesus that Jesus kind of oozes out of us. Uh, James 1 says this. He, he kind of wants to even give uh, the people, the, the hearers of James, this letter he wrote to have this new meaning of, of trials and troubles. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And so we have a choice. We, we can, uh, as followers of Jesus, we, we can go through this world, and obviously we are experiencing pain and suffering, and we can spend all of our emotional energy uh, of trying to prevent all these bad things from happening to our life. And I think that's wise, that's good. It's good to think through, you know, you don't want to purposely just like have suffering like come into your life. But the, the point that we could spend all this anxiety, all this emotional energy trying to control the outside world, but what this, this passage teaches us is that when we experience these things, uh, that we can be transformed into the type of people that can a- handle anything life throws at us. That no matter the, the darkness or the matter, the pain and suffering gets thrown at us, if, as we follow Jesus and we're transformed like his image, now we're equipped. And that idea of just that testing is like, you know, if you see car commercials, they put all these things like this, this truck can tow this amount of money or this amount of pounds or whatever, you know. But the reality is through testing, they, they put it to the test. Like, can it really do that? And here's this, this, this meaning, this story we can have as we go through pain and suffering, is that it's an opportunity to test our faith. And it's not just like, oh, do you really, do you really have faith? It's, it's this a potential to take something we were def- deficit in, and by the end of it, we, we are stronger and joyful and more Christ-like because of it. And so this is this opportunity for us as we experience, we can discharge this just like James said, like, okay, I gotta change my thinking, Right, And I think this is the point of this whole little scripture here. Is so often when bad things happen to us, we, we just, oh, I either deserve this or why is this happening, rather than switch the meaning and say, okay, how can this be used um, to make me like Jesus? So even a few weeks ago, like, I mean, my wife, we got hit one thing after the other, just like a tree kind of falling on our house. Um, like I... I forgot that my hit that I had a trailer on the back of my SUV and I jackknifed it and it got a dent. Um, just there was like four things that happened, boom, 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 and and I uh, I didn't have a good uh, response afterward. You know, um, I wasn't in the best mood uh, after those things. And uh, and my wife's encouragement was like, Johnny, have perspective, right? Have perspective. Uh, change your story. Right, change the story, uh, because in those moments, you know, uh, I wasn't too kind to myself after I backed my uh, trailer into the side of the car. But the reality is, is have a different story, have a different meaning, live for a different meaning. And the reality is, when we do this and we're transformed and we're like Jesus, we get to live out and be Jesus with skin on. This is the second point of the redemptive hope: is is we get to enter into other people's suffering like Jesus did.
right? That's, our, that's part of uh, following Jesus. And, and even Jesus, you know, he, he instructs his disciples. He says, you know, I'm, I'm, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you out. And he's, he's not like, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't hold anything back. He's like, I'm sending you like sheep out among wolves, right? He, 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 that's not like super encouraging. Like, yes, like I want to be a sheep right now. Um, but he also just even says like, hey, if they're going to persecute me, guess what? They're going to persecute you. But here's this idea. I'm going to be sent because I'm going to, you are the, going to be Jesus with skin off. You're going to be this redemptive hope that people can look to and go, oh, the pain and suffering, like this doesn't have to be like my defining story. I can live by another story. And we can just enter into other people's um, suffering. I'm gonna share this real quick uh, before we close here. Uh, this social uh, psychologist, his name was James uh, Pennebaker, he, he conducted a study and he, was, he just studied trauma survivors. And so specifically he studied sexual assault and a, a suicide of a spouse. And, and the goal of this study was to determine why some people experience suffering and are devastated um, and seem to can't come out of it, while others experience um, this kind of trauma but seem to not only come through it or just survive, but on the backside of it, they are more joyful and at ease than before. And so his kind of thinking was, well, the more severe the trauma, the, the more likely they're just going to go into that pit. And what they found is, as they did this study, the results concluded that there was zero correlation between the nature of the trauma and the potential for recovery. They, they found that the number one factor was whether or not a person had a family or a friend or some kind of uh, community or emotional support group to talk about and process the pain with. That they had a, a relational home to go and process the pain and suffering they were experienced. And so often, right, the pain and suffering we experience, we can, we can keep it to ourselves and we can tell ourselves a whole lot of stories about ourselves. Or we can get with people and, and process that pain and in and, and 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 our situation, in our context, um, we are Jesus with skin on and we get to just point, continually point people to Jesus that, hey, you can live by a different story. This pain and suffering doesn't have to be your defining thing. And I just I think it, it's, it's something that, that's uh, just weighed on my heart. As we looked at 2020 and, and the pain and suffering that caused, yet on the one hand, it was probably one of the most uh, divisive and fractured moments of the church, right? That in the midst of these things, uh, our calling as followers of Jesus is to be this relational home that people are as they're going through some of life's hardest questions that they can process things with one another. And so my challenge for you guys is we take this to like, okay, this is kind of the story. We, ha- we can understand that we need a choice. We need a choice to have love. But, and God makes this choice for us and, and ultimately lets, leads to a cross so that there can be this redemptive uh, hope that we can live by. Now, now we need to take this, like, how does this impact our lives? How do we do this? How can we just live this out? And so the challenge I have for you, uh, as I just want to think through a few things here, is, is for some of you, I recognize that you are going some, through some really hard things or have had some really hard things done to you or you've experienced some things. And my, cha- my encouragement for you is just to allow Jesus to enter into that suffering. Right? Allow Jesus into, into um, what you're going through. And so one of the practices you can do, and it's something I recommend, and something that's helpful for me, 
is, is like either I lament or journal or I write it down. Uh, that's just something concrete for me as I, as I allow Jesus to enter into my suffering. Um, I'm allowing, I'm just processing, okay, God, this is the meaning I'm making now and, and then allowing Jesus to speak a new meaning in that situation. For some of us, uh, it's just finding a relational home for uh, the suffering we've experienced. It's getting in community, getting with people. It's al- allowing others to enter into that suffering. I know that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of uh, vulnerability. But when you do that, as that study shows, you can begin to live by a new story. And then for us is, is to be a relational home for people who are suffering, right? It, it's being... Jesus with skin on and entering into that suffering with them. Um, I, when you see someone suffering, it, you, you automatically want to like give them something. You all, don't you always feel like that pressure to say something to make them feel better, right? And so that's where sometimes we get this pressure to try to give them an answer, but the reality is more than anything, they just need a presence, right? They need someone to cry with them, to be with them, to, to, to walk this out with them. And so for many of you, if you see, know somebody who's suffering, to, to enter that suffering with them. So that's my challenge for you. And the reality is the goal, again, the, the goal was to leave us with hope. And I saved this for last because I don't want this to be our easy answer, but the reality is we know the end of the story, don't we? We know that as followers of Jesus, that as Revelation 21 says, that, uh, that in verse two it says, John says, I, I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne um, saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And that's ultimately the end of our story. That's the story that we've tried to wrestle with as we go through the pain and suffering we're experiencing. We might not get all the answers. We might not be able to see all the redemptive hope of things in this lifetime, but the reality is there is gonna come a day, right, in the age to come where Jesus is gonna make all things right. And that's our hope. That's our hope as well. So I'm gonna end just uh, with a ministry time. I invite Ryan to come up. We just create this space to just allow God to speak, allow God to move And my hope is that we can just have a space here for those that are wrestling with pain, that are wrestling with suffering, that are wrestling just with a meaning, that it can be an opportunity um, for Jesus to enter, to give them specifically a story or a meaning. And so I'm just gonna take a few minutes and, and my challenge for you is, is to take a moment now and just invite Jesus to come. This is just gonna be between you and Jesus. This is just gonna be between you and him and, and allowing Jesus to come and, and, and to enter into the pain and suffering you've been experiencing. He's not mad at you. He loves you deeply. And if it's helpful just to picture Jesus there and and you're holding just, even with your physically hands, you're holding this pain uh, that you've experienced in your life. 
and we need a meaningful story to discharge that pain. And so as you are uh, picturing yourself with Jesus, I, 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 imagine, I, I encourage you to take that pain that you've experienced or are experiencing and, uh, and just say, I don't wanna hold on to this. Jesus, I want you to have it. I wanna discharge this pain with you. Just sense as you do that, uh, my hope and my prayer is that Jesus would speak to you, that uh, Jesus would, would show you this may not happen to not this morning. Uh, this may not be like this instant thing that Jesus uh, shows you. My, that's my hope because Jesus does that all the time, but this may be something that you do throughout your week, throughout your month, uh, however long it takes. But I just, as Ryan sings here, I just want you to uh, just take this moment to be with Jesus allow Jesus to enter into that suffering and pain uh, that you're experiencing.